1: Learn more at howlifeunfolds dot slash papertarian. This
0: is the Greg Peterson experience. He was like a god
3: walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr. On VZN, the sports betting network.
4: This is our number two of the Greg Peterson experience on VZN, the sports betting network, and we've got a tremendous hour number two as. We're covering a little bit of everything here in segment number one. Going to take you through my DK Nation pick in the MLB segment two. Danielle Avari does a great job as one of our finest analysts here at the network. We're going to be diving into the WNBA. She does a terrific job on that front end. We're also going to be talking with her a little bit about the Los Angeles sports scene in general in segment number three when we have Jason Weingarten joining me in studio here at Circa. Wonderful resort and sports book out here in lovely Las Vegas. We're going to be having the LA connection going on with them, and then in the final segment of the hour, just taking a look at some general features that Jason Weingarten has on the card. He does a terrific job taking a look at just value on the board in both baseball and the NFL. I know that he does have a couple of other sports as well, but those are the main two that he fires in on this time of year. So, we're going to have a lot going on this hour, but First things first, going to take a look at the DK Nation pick as to be able to make things work. We've got a great team behind the scenes that they always wind up helping out and I need to do my part. But first things first, we got to give them a little bit of love as well. Jason Kahn, who sets up all these great guests. They're going to be joining me in this hour and every hour. He does an absolutely tremendous job. It says a great Peterson experience, but a lot of the experience it is booked out by our good friend, Jason, who does an amazing job of giving us the match victory, and then you've got Dakota. He does a great job with all the graphics that you wind up seeing on screen. And then Taylor always gets me set up on audio. Without him, you would not be hearing a darn thing right now, which that would not be a good thing for a radio slash TV show. A big thanks to all these guys for doing a great job. Now it is time for me to pinch it and do my part as we go to the bottom of the betting board for this DKNH pick as it is 983 984 on the board. The San Diego Padres hit the road. They're facing off against the Seattle Mariners as Logan Gilbert goes for the Mariners and Udarvish is on the bump for the Padres. Most books I'm seeing a 7.5 total. I'm seeing a few stray 7s. You've got a 7.5, heavy juice on the under. If you're seeing a 7, heavy juice on the over end for Seattle. Anywhere between minus 108 to minus 115 is what you're laying with them. Right around minus 105 to minus 102. The price on the San Diego Padres so relatively tight spread but I do default to the home team. I'm making the DKNH pick, the money line of the Seattle Mariners. I felt like they should be closer to about a minus 140 favorite and The big reason why Hugh Darvish's home and road splits, they have been some of the most demonstrative since he has come over to the San Diego Padres last season. This year, his ERA home to road, it varies by about 1.65 points. It's a little bit north of four on the road. 2.45 at home. Opponents have been hitting a 2.42 off of Yu Darvish when he has been on the road compared to a buck 77 at home. He's actually given up fewer home runs on a per-nine-innings basis when he has been on the road, but the general contact winds up going up. He's just not in quite the environment that suits him best like San Diego does, and San Diego suits a lot of pitchers very well. It's a very pitcher-friendly ballpark, but Logan Gobert, he enters having thrown 12 consecutive scoreless settings in his last two starts on the Mariners have won each out of his last three starts overall The season. Ben Rock, solid. 323 ERA, 0.9 home runs at 2.3 walks per nine innings, so I like the way that he's trending, and bigger than that, because I do think that the starting pitching matchup, it's a little bit in favor of Logan Gilbert, but I don't think it's overly demonstrative. What is certainly in favor of the Seattle Mariners, though, the bullpen. The Seattle Mariners' bullpen, since the beginning of the month of July, when They really started to get on this run. It is number one in the big leagues in terms of the ERA. San Diego Padres in this time span, 23rd. And the San Diego Padres. have a guy by the name of Josh Hader whose ERA is currently north of nine. Since they picked him up, Nebel Crisman. He's currently dealing with an injury. That's not great. They wind up getting back Craig Salmon, but he's about 500 years old. That's not too terrific. And for the Seattle Mariners, it's just arm after arm with this team. Eric Swanson, Penn Murphy, Paul Sewell; These guys have been tremendous now. Diego Castillo wound up having his, shall we say, not so great moments on Sunday, but still, since we're going to call it the first two months of the season, a has been pitching significantly better for the Seattle Mariners. And with the Mariners, trio of guys with at least 20 home runs this season, Cal Raleigh and Eugenio Suarez, Julio Rodriguez. These guys have really been able to pick it up. Ty France hitting about a 275 as well. Flip side for the San Diego Padres. Josh Bell, since he got to town, hitting a 205. Juan Soto has not been able to live up to his billing. He's Been a little bit banged up over the last week or so as well, so want to be monitoring that status as well. Manny Machado has been great; he's hitting above 328 plus home runs, no issues there. But you also have had a few other guys wind up not necessarily living up to their part as well. Trent Christian all season long, has had a tough time being able to move the line. Brandon Drury wound up getting hit in the head. By a pitch from Dustin May about a week or so ago has not been seen since then. You hope that he might be able to go at some point in this series, but that is not necessarily the world's greatest ideal either. So I take a look at this Padre Simu over their last 33 games, really, since they wound up getting this current lineup intact since the trade deadline. They're 16 and 17 in their last 33 games. They have been far from impressive, and I do not trust them in this circumstance. I recognize that. Their team on the road has actually been able to score quite a bit better than they have been at home, but simple explanation for that. Petco Field is about as pitcher-friendly as it gets. Seattle, it is also relatively pitcher-friendly, but the Seattle Mariners, they've been able to do a solid job with their offense. They have been very trustworthy with the bullpen. So I'm taking a look at the Mariners in this spot, and I mentioned it, West Coast Ballpark. It is now September, so the ball is going to have a tough time carrying as well. I did to a my total is 6.8. I don't think the Darvish is going to be terrible by any stretch of the imagination in this start. I think the Gilbert pitch is just a little bit better, and he's a tad bit more trustworthy in this spot. So taking a look at the under, and my DK Nation pick is going to be the Seattle Mariners on the money line, as we do have a few interleague games, and this is one that I think that we are still seeing this bunch being undervalued, 979, 980 on the board. The Baltimore Orioles, they're on the road facing off against Washington Nationals. Corey Abbott is going to be on the bump for the Nationals, and Dean Kramer goes for Baltimore. Baltimore, between minus 145 and minus 152 favorites, between plus 130 and plus 139, the number on Washington, with 8.5 being the total. And for Baltimore, I set them closer to a minus 185 favorite. With the Orioles, they just continue to be disrespected, and for the Orioles, all of a sudden, the offense has been able to come to the forefront for this team as well. Anthony Santander has been terrific. 27 home runs, hitting above a 250, as he, Adelie Rushman, Ramon Urias, Ryan McKenna, all these guys in between about a 245 to 255. Now, Ryan McCastle says the all-star break, hitting in that neighborhood of the Mendoza line of 200 but still has cranked out 20-plus home runs this season. Cedric Mullins and, and Ori Mateo. Both of these guys in the top five in terms of stolen bases in the American League. This team has been amazing. They still rank at the top six in the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA, despite Ore Lopez getting dealt at the trade deadline. So many guys. Joey Crebio, Keegan Aiken, Felix Batista, CNL Perez. You're able to go down the list. I believe I mentioned Dylan Tate as well. All these guys posting up as sub 3 3 ERA. And for the Nationals, the bullpen has not been bad for this bunch either because you've had. Someone like a Kyle Finnegan as a veteran, be able to improve at this this season as one along a Rasmus Ramirez, a relatively good long guy. I do not want any part of Corey Abbott because pitchers, starting pitchers in Major League Baseball are creatures of habit and they are the guys that you don't want to throw off their homeostasis about as much as any position in sports, I would say, because Having a like basketball game get delayed by a day or two, having a football game get delayed by a day or two, not necessarily the worst thing in the world. A starting pitcher winds up having their full routine done to wind up starting every once, every five, sometimes six days. And when you wind up having an ordeal like Corey Abbott, who he wound up having his last start on Wednesday against the St. Louis Cardinals, he then wound up coming out and threw a inning out of the bullpen a few days ago as well. That's just a very strange circumstance and that completely throws off a pitcher. It makes it very hard for him to be able to go deep into games. And I think that the Baltimore Orioles are going to be able to do a good job of being able to hit him and hit him relatively hard, which is why I do like the over in this spot but for the Washington Nationals. The lineup has all of a sudden been able to come alive. Five plus runs and now seven out of their last 11 games as Joey Manessis. He's a 30-year-old journeyman that not a lot was expected from him. He's been hitting above a three-arm for the Washington Nationals. Has some good power. Lane Thomas. Luke Voigt in a Nationals uniform. Keeper Ruiz, these guys move the line. Anything between a 245 to a 255. And for Voigt, along with Lane Thomas, it could buy 34 home runs out of those two gentlemen this season. So they've been able to help out with the power a little bit. Certainly still lacking, but they get Nelson Cruz off the injured list as well. I do think that they're going to be able to get into that bullpen a little bit. But in this circumstance, I do default to Dean Kramer. Now, With Kramer, part of the reason why I do like this over as well is that he's just doing for regression. He has been incredible for this Baltimore Orioles team, and you know that the command is going to be there. For Kramer, he's given up two walks per nine innings, but he's only getting 6.8 strikeouts per nine innings, and yet somehow, someway, his home runs per nine rate is a little bit south of a 0.7. The fielding independent is a little bit higher than the ERA just from watching him. Feels like he should be getting hit a little bit harder than he is. Overall, the opponent's batting average off of him in the pocket about two sixty-seven. so he's been fortunate that he's been able to do a good job of being able to remain men on base, and got to give credit where credit is due. When it comes to Kramer as well, the Baltimore Orioles had went 3-18 and in his first career, or 3-15 and in his first career 18 starts, so. That was not too terrific ever since then. They've had a winning record. So it's been a case where Dean Kramer has gotten better and better as things have went along. So I do like what he's been able to show in that spot. And I do think that the Nationals are able to get to him for a few runs, but I would much rather have faith in Dean Kramer, who's been able to sort of do that. But I expect a little bit of regression rather than a guy in Corey Abbott, who he's been making starts. He's been coming out of the bullpen. He's just been utilized in a wide variety of ways. And when you throw off a starting pitcher like this, it does typically yield not so great results. So I'm looking at the Orioles and I'm looking to maximize this. I'm gonna be taking a look at the run line, being able to get a little bit of a plus price in a game that I think is gonna be higher scoring, I think lends a value. So gonna be taking a look at the Orioles on the run line, and in the circumstance of an AF, gonna be taking a look at this little over. And I can tell you, there's gonna be some money on the WNBA betting board the next few days as the WNBA finals it is getting started. So we've got to call in our ace to be able to break down this this WNBA final series as Daniel Avari does terrific work at the network. Joins me next right here on the Great Peterson experience on VEASAN, the Esports Bank Network.
0: At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field.
4: Kick off the football season with Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook. Bet Rivers is your go-to sportsbook for every line, boost, and special. Place them up with the Bet Rivers Parlay Insurance and Touchdown Insurance offered every single Sunday all season long. Build a parlay of at least four legs, and if it loses, get your stake back as a $25 free bet. We draw on any player to score the first touchdown on Sunday Night Football and get your money back as a free bet if they score at any time during the game. Head on over to BetRivers.com and download the BetRivers app. It is a whole new game as we're back here on the Peter Peterson Experience right here on v the Sports Banking Network, and Daniel Avari does amazing work here at the network taking a look at so many different things as I know that the WNBA Finals, it is out hot and heavy. We are now going to be heading into Game 2 for this series with the Las Vegas Aces up by a count of 1-0, to zero. and Danielle, I know that you've done a great job of being able to follow the WNBA all season long, and I think that it's going to be tremendous to see what we wind up getting in game number two, as right now, with the Las Vegas Aces, they're a 4.5 point favorite total on this game, anywhere between a 163.5 and a 164, so we will see what winds up happening there as we're trying to get connected with, with Danielle right now, and Danielle, when it comes to taking a look at Game 2, do you think that there were any takeaways to be able to be had from Game 1 to lead to betting on this Game 2?
7: Game 2 should be equally as exciting as Game 1, actually. I mean, I think we were all surprised to see how low-scoring Game 1 was for these two teams, but not necessarily when you think about how prolific the Sun defense has been especially in the postseason this year so it's interesting because we saw a total around 169 for game one it's down to 164 for game two and so even still I slightly lean under here I think that the Sun defense is doing everything in its power to try to work against this ace's offense and unfortunately it's just not very possible the aces are able to do so many things on offense especially with this small ball lineup they kind of introduced against the storm asia wilson inside to create um, options there chelsea gray has not missed her shot creation's been incredible it doesn't matter who's defending her even the best defenders in the league have been on her um she's able to just isolate from mid-range kelsey plum had a really rough shooting night the other night so it'd be nice to see her kind of bounce back but i think this Playoffs has really been all about Asia. She just got announced as the MVP again for this season. And I would look for her to continue being successful. And really, the best thing the Sun can do is try to contain Asia the best they can. Because in games that she scores more than 15 points, let's say she's averaging, what, 28 and a half points in the last four games, all games that the Aces won. In games that she scores more than 20 points, they win, right? I mean, seven out of the 11 games that she was held to 15 or less points, the Aces lost. So more often than not, that's, that's the root problem here. So I do think that the Sun are going to be able to hold them off as best they can. And maybe they sneak this win. It was a really close game in game one. But lean Sun here, plus four and a half to keep it close. Under 164, probably. But my favorite play is an aces under. The team total at 84. I actually had under 89 and a half for game one. And obviously, we've dropped it down to 84 from here. But I still like the under.
4: And we have seen a little bit of dive on this total as this is our deep dive with Danielle Avarian. If you're looking for a little bit more just in terms of this deep dive and so much more from Danielle, you're able to get it all on vston.com. Only for pro subscribers, though. Become a pro su- subscriber at vston.com slash subscribe, but you just mentioned it with the Las Vegas Aces. They want it coming out a little bit cold, got the job done, but unable to cover, unable to get that total over. And when it comes to... What has made this defense of the Sun so spectacular? What has it been? Because we wound up seeing it in their last series as well. The Sun were just consistently holding down Chicago. They did an amazing job in that series. You wound up having a whole bunch of unders in that series. And it looks like this Aces versus Connecticut series is setting up to be the same way.
7: Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the name of the game for playoffs so far. It's unfortunate you got unlucky on one of the games where there was actually an over that we saw because it was few and far between so far, even through semifinals. But uh, to your point, you have to look at who the opponents have been for the Aces as well. They've gone against some of the best defensive teams in the league and the Seattle Storm and, of course, the Washington Mystics initially. So they've been a little bit, you know... Set up on a course where they're gonna be able to deal with this Sun defense and create those looks. I was not surprised that the Aces were able to sneak this out in game one because Connecticut's a really good team at making adjustments for the next game, not necessarily in-game so much from Kurt Miller, unfortunately. So I do think the Sun are gonna figure out what they can do best again in game two. But it's really seems like the Aces to lose at this point. And again, they've just gone against tougher competition going into this. And even the best defenses, the Mystics, the storm and the Connecticut Sun cannot figure out how to answer this Aces offense.
4: It certainly has been a case where they have not been able to. And when it comes to the Connecticut Sun as well, the one issue that I have slash just more of a concern rather than anything else, do they have enough offense? in terms of the backcourt, to be able to pull out a few games in this series because no doubt they were able to do a supreme job of be able to hold down the Las Vegas Aces with Kelsey Plum having a relatively rough game one. But I do take a look at the Sun as well, and it feels like their liability is they need a little bit of scoring, whether it be maybe Odyssey Sims getting a little bit more involved because she was rather silent in game one and just in general has not been able to make too many contributions on the offensive side of things throughout the playoffs but is there a way that the Sun can maybe ramp up their offense to be able to give themselves a chance against an Aces team that you can do all that you want on defense? They're still going to be able to get some points, when it's all said and done in the series.
7: Well, it's actually weird to even be talking about the Sun offense and say there's not enough offensive power there because if you look at the stats, their offensive rating, I mean, top two and of- throughout the season and so they've always been able to check those boxes but then it seems like in the games that actually matter that offense just isn't happening i mean john quill jones former mvp from the year before only 15 points in game one uh this also was at the aces court they got a lot more free throw attempts and kind kind of uncharacteristic of the sun to be fouling that often so i do think that will back off but it's just there's not to your point there's just not enough offense coming from the Sun I mean Alyssa Thomas has been incredible in the playoffs she's completely turned a corner flipped a switch here Uh, 19 points for her in the last game and 11 rebounds leading the Sun but their baskets are too far uh, few and far to come between actually and so how do they create those shots their rhythm on offense has looked off ever since they lost Jasmine Thomas earlier this season they're starting to figure it out here in playoffs which is a great time to figure it out but it just needs to come from somewhere and I don't know that they have that Chelsea Gray player on their team or Asia Wilson, even type player under the basket. Maybe that's Alyssa Thomas, but they definitely don't have the perimeter offense that they need to go the distance with this Aces offense.
4: And when it comes to Las Vegas Aces as well, because they've got this game too on their home floor and then they wind up having to travel to Connecticut. How much do you wind up attributing from home court, not just in this game, but when they wind up going to Connecticut? Because one thing I noticed with the Las Vegas Aces is they were able to close out against Seattle on Seattle's home floor. So it was a very nice farewell for Sue Bird, but it was also a nice celebration for the Las Vegas Aces being able to make the final. And when it comes to the Las Vegas Aces during the season, 13-5 and five on the road. So clearly a team that has been unbothered by some rather difficult travel.
7: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Aces rise to the occasion, especially off of a game that wasn't so great for them, especially, I mean, it's funny to say an Aces game that doesn't go offensively well for them because a bad game for the Aces is still a great game for most of these teams in the league. But to your point, they have been really successful on the road and the Sun and the Aces have both won at each other's homes this year so it doesn't seem to be a huge factor for me necessarily and it was funny because i was actually talking to gil alexander who does a great job obviously uh, on his show in the mornings and he pointed out that because of this game five series and it's two one, that the aces would have to lose one of these games to get to win it at home uh because from here they could just sweep uh Through three games or four games and be finishing it up in Connecticut. So that's a little bit of an unfortunate thing here too, because that could be the ACEs first championship and they don't even get to win it at home. So I'm hoping we see five games, the way that the Connecticut sun have been fighting, even in just the semifinal series makes it seem like it's possible. Uh, But I don't think that home court has been a huge factor necessarily, especially for these two teams. They've proven that they can win at uh, each other's course at least. And Las Vegas, Uh, Winning at Mohican is especially impressive
4: to me. Yep, it certainly has been because you have to go from west to east really for both sides. So for the Connecticut Sun with the games that we're going to be seeing because Tuesday's game, that is going to be 6 o'clock p.m. Pacific time, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern. That's a little bit of a bear for them. And then with Las Vegas having to adjust going from west to east after this game as well, I do think that that's a big factor. And one other thing that I think is going to be very interesting as well when it comes to the series, is we've talked about it a few times just in our deep dives of the WNBA. How much do you think that the depth of the Las Vegas Aces and the lack of it that we've been seeing throughout the season might wind up coming back to hurt them if this does wind up going to four or five games?
7: Well, it's funny you use the word hurt because that's that's the uh, Aces' biggest nightmare at this point is if one of those starters gets hurt. Deer Hamby missed a couple games here against the Storm, and you didn't think that maybe you would feel that so much because she's not necessarily the name that you hear the most in the box score. But if you look at the plus minus, even with Erica Hamby, uh, she was plus seven in only 11 minutes in the last game. And you can just tell that that offense functions a lot better with that starting five. So they are literally one of those players going out away from being in big trouble. And the sun are incredible at being disruptive as we saw against the Chicago sky in the semifinal. So, they're waiting for that opportunity. And you're absolutely right. If it's not the starting five from the aces, I don't know that this championship gets won, but it does seem like they're going to be able to hold this off for a couple more games at least and get this title. But you're absolutely right. The bench is just not there for the aces at all.
4: It is going to be great to see what we get in game two as right now, I know that Danielle is like in a little bit of a team total under with the Las Vegas Aces, and I now find them as a four and a half point favorite total, right around 163 and a half and a 164. And Danielle, also based out there in the city of Los Angeles, and we've got a last gentleman from the city of Los Angeles, Jason Weingarten, joining the decks nice to be able to take a look at all that we're getting in that city right here on VSIM, the Sports Bank Network.
3: Hoops Peterson himself on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network.
4: Start your football season on the right foot by subscribing to VSIN Pro. Get full access to everything that we do, including our daily picks at a glance, recapping the top plays. Made by v show hosts and guests 24-7 video season prep, including our weekly college and pro football matchup guides covering every game all season long and pro tools like our exclusive betting splits and pro tips updated every hour with actionable insights to up your sports betting game. Sign up for our discounted football special and get v all access to everything that we do now through the Super Bowl for just $175. Save 50% off the monthly price with an annual subscription. Bet smarter all year long. Head on over to drive to vsin.comslash subscribe for all of your options and become a part of the Sports Bank Network. As we're back here on the Greg Peterson Experience, and look who's joining me on the desk Jason Weingarten does a great job with the show slash podcast, the wide world of Weingarten. You're able to get that over your podcast, and still being joined by Daniel Avari does a great job here at the network. And, Danielle, we'll throw it to you first because this is pretty much our LA connection sort of segment here. And when it comes to what we saw from the Rams on Thursday night, what were your overall takeaways? Because with the Rams, certainly a little bit bearish on them after that that first game wasn't necessarily what you wanted to see. But more than anything else, I just felt like I was more impressed by the Bills rather than thinking that this might be a letdown season for the Rams.
6: Yeah, I I absolutely agree. The Bills are an incredible football team, and I think that's what we saw. It's not the way that the Rams fans would like to start that season, unfortunately, especially if you had a Rams win total over. But I think that we were expecting to see a little bit of regression here. And also with Matt Stafford, we know that he's dealing with this lingering injury. It's actually interesting because they do have uh, some inside sources with the team if you will have said that everything looks fine in his elbow but it's still bugging him so the fact that uh, there might be some kind of like mental aspect with this as well or just really some kind of tendonitis, and nagging type of injury that's just not going to go away and yes you can rest in the offseason slightly but I just think that at this point it just seems like something that he's going to have to take a longer time off for to really address and until then that's what he's going to be dealing with and maybe that's getting into his head when he's making throws too I don't think that he looked the sharpest he could possibly look necessarily and of course uh, we're expecting more from poor Cam Akers, but I do think that the Bills were just a really, really solid team, and I'm really looking forward to people overreacting about the Rams because then maybe we can find some good value on them against the Falcons. Not sure if you feel the same
4: way, Jason, but I do think that there's going to be a lot of overreactions on the LA Rams, certainly not the world's greatest game call we wound up seeing on Thursday, but that said, I do think that with the Rams, it was less about them looking bad as much as it was the Bills looking completely dominant in the second half what were your overall takeaways from the rams week one
3: well you know you mentioned overreactions and that's kind of just the prerogative for tuesday after week one you're always going to have uh overreactions but there are some concerning sort of signs early with the rams and you know matt stafford's elbow for the season they said he's not 100 percent. they're gonna to have to manage that all year the offensive line they already have injuries didn't look great on monday night and the defensive backs i mean that's a major concern. They were not able to stay with Gabriel Davis. They were not able to stay with Stefan Diggs. Um, I mean, you know, obviously it's only one week, but it's a concerning start. And I think the thing is, is if you ask the Rams, if you ask any team in football, they would absolutely mortgage their future for a Super Bowl like they did last year. And it's just a matter of fact, when you, you know, mortgage your future, you have to deal with it eventually. And they, uh, they lack the draft picks and they lack... Uh, the ability to replenish themselves in the draft, and you're starting to see what a team that is relying on uh, older veteran free agents is, you know, what, what they look like when uh, when the bill comes. So it wouldn't surprise me to see them uh, continue to take step back steps backwards as the season continues.
4: And you mentioned the fact that with the Rams, they're not going to have draft picks seemingly until about 2057. That is not going to be terrific for them. But a team with a lot of young talent, that's the LA Chargers. Opposite for them, they win. They cover against the Las Vegas Raiders. I'd say they looked relatively solid. What were your takeaways from week one with the Chargers? Because I don't think that there's anything to say, but other than people that were high on the Chargers in, coming into the season. Week one, they were proven correct. Long season ago, but liked what I saw from them.
3: Justin Herbert is absolutely an MVP candidate and uh you know he's playing like one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the league right now I don't think anybody predicted he was going to be this good coming out of Oregon um you know I've I've been impressed with him every every game I've watched him play the last couple of years and with uh Khalil Mack and Bosa and Derwin James and everybody on that defense they have a uh, very legitimate shot of not only making the playoffs but winning that division although uh saw the Chiefs on Sunday, they looked like they did not miss a a step from the the Chiefs we've known the last couple years.
4: And Danielle, I think that that's an interesting topic to have because with the Rams, they did not look as good as the LA Chargers, certainly in week number one, but I still think that there might be a path in which the Rams wind up going further in the playoffs than the Chargers because I think we wound up seeing it week one. The AFC contenders, they all looked solid. Meanwhile, on the On the NFC side of things, you wind up having teams like the Green Bay Packers, like the LA Rams. You're able to get down the list of teams that want disappointing. So the Chargers, they look like the better team right now, but they still might not go as deep in the postseason because the Rams, up until the Super Bowl, they would not have to face off against a team like the Chiefs.
6: Yeah, I mean, hopefully the Raiders are in a situation now where they're not going to be able to upset the Chargers heading to playoffs this season. It doesn't look like that. Um, And to your point about that game, I do think that it was more, again, it wasn't necessarily, of course, we knew the Chargers were going to look good. And yes, that was confirmed. But I think some people were really high on the Raiders this year thinking, oh, they have all this wide receiver talent and Derek Carr is going to look great. And I don't think necessarily they did. So for me, that was a little self-validating that I I wasn't really high on the Raiders. And I think that we saw that play out. Now, as far as the Chargers are concerned, I, I completely agree. Uh, with Jason here that he's playing at such a high caliber that it's just going to be fun to watch this offense week in and week out. I don't even think we scratched the surface of it in week one. Um and it may lead to a really high scoring affair in Thursday night football that I'm excited to see as well. But um it's it's tough to say because like you said, the NFC is just completely wide open and you play in the AFC you have to play teams like the Chiefs who have won this division six years in a row. So it'll be interesting to see. I do at least feel comfort in thinking that I don't think the Raiders will be the nuisance to them that they were last season.
4: And Danielle, you just brought up that Thursday night football game, Chiefs clocking in as a three and a half point favorite, the to total between 54 and 54 and a half. This is a tough one from a side perspective. I like the way that the Chargers look going into Kansas City and not being able to get more than three and a half points is something that I've got big trepidation with. If anything, I would take a look at an over. I recognize it's a high total. Not sure where you stand in terms of Thursday night football, if you've got anything at all, because if you've got nothing at this point, don't feel bad, but At this point, I would much rather play the total than the side.
6: Yeah, I'm going back and forth on this. I mean, relatively high total for me to want to look at an over necessarily, but we did see it go over this the last time these two teams played, even before overtime hit in that game. So it's possible. It's absolutely possible. I think that we saw really good steps forward from the Chargers defense. Unfortunately, they have to play against Patrick Mahomes, and he threw, what, five touchdowns the other day? So uh, I do think that there may be... uh, the, there will be a tendency to think that this is going to be a shootout. And we're going to see these two electric quarterbacks go trade blows for blows. And, of course, Patrick Mahomes, what did he hit? Ten different targets on Sunday as well. So there's just so many options for him. Travis Kelsey still looks like he hasn't lost a uh, missed a beat. 121 receiving yards for him on eight catches. So the, the- – Uh, the chiefs still have all those options, even after losing Tyree kill. And I think that was a big question mark for them as well. Uh, Even offensive line concerns for them, but it looked decent. I think that the Chargers' defensive line is going to give them more trouble. So I almost want to look under, but how not fun would it be to have an under on this game?
4: (laughs) I've already taken a few higher total unders with the Kansas city chiefs. I still remember. I think it was the chiefs versus the Rams game a few years ago that I stupidly wound up taking the under on. And, Well, that was a miserable ride, to say the least, when they wound up scoring 100 million, billion points. So I learned my lesson on that front. And speaking of the Rams, they're 10.5-point favorites right now against the Atlanta Falcons. You did see the Falcons come out with a spirited effort against the Saints in Week 1, unable to pull it out. Jason, do you think that this is a little bit too much for the Rams to be playing at this point with their injuries, or do you think that this is pretty spot-on?
3: 10.5 is a huge number for Week 2. I don't have the against spread numbers and trends in front of me but that is uh definitely probably probably definitely that's not a great great combination of words there but um i'll be betting on the falcons this weekend i'll be going to that game actually nice Um, pretty excited about that first rams game of the season or the regular season but uh i like marcus mariota a lot i thought they uh had a chance to win that game week one and uh you know starting oh and two is about the worst thing you can do in the nfl so uh, someone's going to come away from this game really uh, behind the eight ball early.
4: I agree, and Danielle, we've got about 45 seconds. Looking at anything in terms of Falcons versus Rams in Week 2?
6: Not necessarily. I mean, I'm expecting a, a bounce-back spot, if you will, from the Rams, but I agree 10.5 is a, is especially high number when I'm still looking to feel out all these teams this early in the season. I
4: still remember Week 2, we wound up seeing it a few years ago with that Mondo Dolphins versus Patriots number. Patriots were able to cover that. Certainly, you don't have Bill Belichick on the sidelines in this game, and you also do have a Falcon team that they look good in week number one. Not as good as this panel is looking right now, though. Danielle, you do absolutely amazing work with being able to take a look at all things for us over at v Always do appreciate you hopping aboard. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. And it's always great to have Jason Weingarten in studio as well. He does a great job with the Wine World of Winegarden podcast. And coming up next, we're going to get a little bit of a futures outlook with him in terms of what he's firing on in terms of the MLB and NFL. Next, right here on v Esports Bank Network.
2: Check
5: out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: You're experiencing Hoops Peterson himself on VCN, the sports betting network.
4: Kick off the football season with Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook. Bet Rivers is your go to sportsbook. For every line boost and special, lace them up for week one with Bet Rivers Parlay Insurance and Touchdown Insurance offered every Sunday all season long. Build a parlay of at least four legs, and if it loses, you get your stake back, plus a free bet of up to $25. Wager on any player to score the first touchdown on Sunday Night Football, and you get your money back as a free bet if they score any time. Head on over to betrivers.com or download the Bet Rivers app. It is a whole new game as we're back here on the Greg Peterson Experience, being rejoined by Jason Weingarten at the desk. does a great job with the wide world of Weingarten podcast, which you're able to find wherever you get your podcasts. And, Jason, we were talking a little bit off air about some of the futures that you wanted firing in on, and you wound up taking some long shots to be able to win NFL MVP. Take me through these and start for your mindset and take it a little flyer on a few guys that are north of 100 to 1.
3: Yeah, you know, when when I looked at the MVP board at the beginning of the season, the guys at the top, you know, especially the the Stafford's, the the Rodgers, the Brady's. I've I've mentioned, you know, the NFL is a young man's game, and I don't want a thirty five year old quarterback for for MVP, not not this season. I want uh, want some of the slightly younger guys, and I wanted I wanted some guys from teams that weren't in the playoffs last year, because the NFL, you know, there's turnover, and you tend to Get guys, you, know, you get get teams year over year, you know, in the playoffs, out the playoffs. So I was happy to to bet some Lamar Jackson. I was happy to bet some Marcus Mariota, two hundred to one. I think I got Jackson at sixteen or fourteen, um, and then I bet Geno Smith. Geno Smith was seven hundred fifty to one. I've made worse bets. I thought there was a chance they could win. You know, week one. This might be the the high point of the the Geno Smith Smith chain, but. Um, you know, I think uh, they could win week two as well. And that uh, that division might be a little bit more up for grabs than people think.
4: I think that it's going to be interesting to take a look at that division. And I know that in terms of divisional futures as well, you got invested with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Run me through what you were taking a look at with the Steelers. And if you feel a little bit more bullish on them after they wound up being able to get it done in week one against the Cincinnati Bengals.
3: Yeah, you know... Uh... I like, uh, I like the skilled players. I think, uh, I think they have an elite defense. I think Mike Tomlin is a pretty good head coach. He probably doesn't get the credit he deserves for getting the most out of his players. And you know, some coaches, they don't get the most out of their players. I think the Steelers are an organization that put the players you know, in, the, in a position to succeed. So uh, you know, week one, the, I think it took, took a lot of lucky breaks to come out of that with a win but they were 10 to one to win the division before the season started. And they have a backloaded uh, divisional schedule in the second half of the season. So they have plenty of time for TJ Watt to potentially get healthy. I know he's looking for second opinions on his torn pectoral muscle. And if they can weather the, uh, the, the, the early you know, September, October and, and not you know falter too badly, stay above 500, I think they are uh, very live to uh, make some noise in the second half of the season
4: and that AFC North as well. I do think that that is a very interesting division to take a look at. I'm quite bullish on the Baltimore Ravens, like what I saw in week one, but it was against the New York Jets. The New York Jets, I think that we can all agree, not looking great for them to be able to bust through this upcoming season. And when it comes to taking a look at week two, because the Jets, they are finding themselves as about a six-point underdog against the Cleveland Browns. Just taking a look at a glance at the Week 2 slate, that's one that really stands out to me. I feel like Cleveland, despite the fact that they have no Sean Watson, they should be a little bit more than a touchdown favorite in this spot. So being able to get a six, that appeals to me. Has anything really stood out to you in terms of Week 2 that you might wind up firing it on within the next,
3: say, few days? Well, I'm really interested in this uh, Seahawks 49ers game coming up. I think you know I liked a lot of what I saw out of the, uh, the Seahawks tonight, I thought Pete Carroll did an amazing job calling that game and putting Geno Smith in a position to get the most out of him. But I am incredibly confused with this, uh, this Bengals line. They're only laying seven against the Cowboys <laughs> with Cooper Rush. Like, am I crazy? Mike McCarthy, Cooper Rush should be 10. You know, you give me seven, I think I'm going to lay the seven there, not think about it. I was actually before... Uh, we went on air. Red just now, I was looking around online, wondering: Is there a first coach fired market back up yet? Mike McCarthy would probably be my favorite in that market at the moment. Am I? Uh, am I? Am I missing somebody that that's most likely to be fired? Nathaniel or?
4: Hackett. No, you know,
3: one—it's his first game. I uh, give him give him another week before we uh, put his head on a stake. Well,
4: I had to throw that one in there because I agree with you. I don't think that they're going to get him after week one, but boy, that was not terrific. And Matt rule as well. Matt rule, I think could be that guy that's on the hot seat as well. Now. I think that a lot of his job said is just whether or not Christian McCaffrey stays healthy because when McCaffrey is out there, typically the Carolina Panthers are able to give a respectable effort. And even though they wanted up losing against the Browns, I didn't hate what I saw out of them. I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. I felt, honestly, a little bit better about the Browns. Than I did bad about the Carolina Panthers. And just from week one in general, were there any of those teams that, even though they might not have had the world's greatest performance, that you left and you weren't necessarily too put off by them?
3: The Texans, they uh, they took a lead early. And then uh, I was really disappointed in them at the end, honestly. I thought uh, thought Lovey Smith really called a bad game in overtime. But just just to... To compete with the uh, the Colts early in the season, I thought that was positive for the positive for them. I was a little disappointed in the Jaguars. I expected a little little better out of them, out of both sides of the ball. But you know, week one, I think uh, Aaron Schatz at uh, Football Outsiders calls uh, calls tomorrow overreaction Tuesday, and uh, we're gonna get a lot of lot of overreactions. Got to got to wait a week or two for things to stabilize, and then then we can start to panic.
4: Yeah, I do think that it's a case where we see so many people, they always jump the gun, they're always panicking because of everything that we wind up seeing in week one. It is merely a little bit over 6% of the season that is done. We saw the top two teams in the AFC and the NFC respectively in the Packers and the Titans not look great week one last season, so do pump the brakes just a little bit, but I know that some other features that you're taking a look at a little bit more on the baseball side of things. I know that you're quite heavily invested when it comes to rookie of the year. And in my opinion, you've got two of the top ones. Take me through how you've been playing this rookie of the year race. And if you were able to get a little bit more on Michael Harris, the second.
3: Yeah, I tried, tried to go around different places in Vegas this weekend and get some money on Harris. And I wasn't able to, um, mostly just an issue with waiting in line and broken kiosks. And, you know, the, the price has gotten away at this point. He's down to, you know, I saw minus 105 on him online today, um, plus 125 at BetMGM earlier. I was hoping to get 2-1, to 3-1 to one earlier this weekend. I think uh, Spencer Strider, you know, he took the loss tonight, still had nine strikeouts, not to take anything away from the amazing season he's had as a rookie, especially last year when he started the year in A-ball. But, uh, you know, I think 16 strikeouts against the Rockies, knowing that the Rockies are an incredibly high strikeout team, especially on the road beating up on a bad Oakland A's team in his last start Um, you know those are all really commendable things and he will pitch meaningful innings for the Braves in the playoffs but Michael Harris is just so good he's almost putting up comparable numbers to Julio Rodriguez his 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 overall numbers have been some of the top in the league since he's been called up he he hits home runs he steals bases he plays plus 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 outfield you know defense as a center fielder he's he signed a $72 million contract a couple of weeks after he came up. That is the rookie of the year. I think it might be close. It it wouldn't even surprise me potentially if we got close to a co-rookie of the year situation there, which I think is is relatively unheard of. But at the end of the day for me, I've said this a couple of times, but the uh, the 2023 Topps dual autograph rookie of the year card is going to look so much cooler with the Julio <laughs> Rodriguez Michael Harris combo. Than a julio rodriguez spencer strider combo it just it hits different you know so please don't deny me that really cool baseball card that i am already planning on on buying and pulling from a pack or you know and I, I i need that <laughs> card so
4: <laughs> i used to be a big baseball card guy myself back was that when i was in high school and college i actually had a big anquam bowling collection so that was one of my favorites and it would look even cooler if it was a trio autograph now now it's one that would probably run you a little bit more money, but certainly a trio autograph is something that I'm sure that a lot of people would sign up for and got about a minute left. I know that you'd like to fire in on a lot of baseball overnight. Anything that you're taking a look at in terms of the Tuesday card? You
3: know, I wish I could say I had something for Tuesday, but being here at the Sportsbook all night, walk watching the Seahawks game, put me a little behind schedule with, uh, betting for tomorrow. So I couldn't, couldn't tell you much about who, uh, who's who's on the, the baseball card for uh for tomorrow but uh yeah it's it's been a nice nice week The uh, the nfl week one delivered so much i can't wait to see what this next weekend has in store we have a you know we're gonna do this for 17 more weeks i'm gonna need to take a nap
4: yep it is gonna age some of us by many many years fighting out all these games we're gonna have no hair remaining and A little bit of a pro tip. You're able to get these at VEASAN.com slash subscribe. Since the beginning of the 2021 NFL season, Unders hitting at a rate of a little bit over 55%. As Jason, great to have you in studio. Thank you so much.
3: Thanks for having me. Always always fun to be in studio. Always a great time.
4: Always great to have Jason aboard. And coming up next, we're hitting some baseball right here on VEASAN, the Esports Bank Network.
2: Ball means football. It means betting. And it means a new lineup on Vison with the best betting talent in the game. Follow the money with Mitch Moss and Polly Howard. 7 to 10 a.m.
5: You open a 7, and we still don't know what Arizona's gonna do.
2: A numbers game with Gil Alexander, first game with Gil Alexander, first game with Gil Alexander, first game with Gil Alexander.